Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Unwrapped, the Pick and Roll podcast presented by FBL Sport. I'm Adam Webster, and this week we're delving a lot deeper into the team at pickandroll.com.au. We're speaking to Daniel Herborn about a really important article that he has written that's come out just this week. We've got Hayley Wilds to talk about the WNBL last five rounds, and also Jacob Dool stops by to talk about the NBL MVP race. So without further ado, Daniel Herborn. Welcome back to Unwrapped. Adam Webster with you once again, and a really important story being released. You can read it on pickandroll.com.au. I have the author of that piece, Daniel Herborn, with me. Daniel, um, an important topic, a serious topic, uh, not necessarily one that we see a lot on pick and roll in terms of usually hoops content about who's playing well and championships and that sort of stuff. This goes far, far deeper than that and far, far more important than that. And um, I'd like you to introduce your topic uh, and let's talk a little bit more about the story that you've written this week. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Adam. Great to be here. So I talked to Tiana Munger-Kaikia this week. Um, yeah, as, as I guess your listeners know well, she had her career really disrupted by getting a stage three can- breast cancer diagnosis when she was over in Syracuse playing college ball and had a really long, grueling ro- road back to back to playing again. Um, came back, played really well, came back, had a season in the WNBL, um, which was probably one of the most exciting guards in the league. And then, yeah, awful news. Mid last year, she got a, um, she found out that the cancer had returned and spread to other parts of her body. So she had to call, call time on her playing career. And she's since transitioned into an assistant coaching role with the Sydney Flames. Um, so we talked about how that transition's been and yeah, her journey through, through cancer. As you say, it's a story that's much bigger than basketball. It's a really significant story uh, and obviously it's it's kind of happenstance that it happens to be in Sydney because Sydney is well known for the pink test in cricket um, and particularly the McGrath Foundation, of course, Glenn McGrath and his late wife Jane starting that foundation and, and really emphasising the need for breast care nurses, uh, which is where this initiative has come from. It makes a ton of sense to involve that in basketball. Um, we've seen charity games in different teams around the NBL. There's uh, one down here in Tasmania um, for uh, women's cancer uh, based on a board member that passed away or board member's wife that passed away. So we've seen sporting teams willing to give back and willing to you know, make the games about something bigger than the games, which is really important. But I want to talk about Tiana's journey. As you say, it was cut short her college career in Syracuse. Uh, she played for the Sydney Flames. She played for a bit in France for Toulouse. Um, and she also had a training camp deal with the Phoenix Mercury. So she was, you know, on the cusp of WNBA sort of positioning there. So a really strong opportunity for a career that's cut short, which is um, awful, but fantastic to see that she's taking another step in her career into coaching. Um, what sort of topics did you cover f- with Tiana? What can readers expect when they go to pickandroll.com.au and check this out? Yeah, so she was she was really open about um, you know what she's experienced. So she talked about that initial time getting the diagnosis, um, yeah, really having a bit of shock that the cancer had come back, um, really struggling with her mental health, really yep. going through some pretty severe anxiety, really having to lean on you know her friends, her family, the basketball community to get through that really tough time, um, and then really finding purpose again and finding a way to to reconnect with the game that um, she talks about being her first love. So she went into this 
assistant coaching role with the Sydney Flames. Um, and she really gives a lot of credit to people like Guy Malloy, who's obviously the head coach there, Renee Garlop, who's the assistant coach. Um, they've really made it a, an easy journey for her and have been flexible around the obvious, you know, health challenges that she has if she needs to to miss a training session, to go to an appointment, they're fine with that. They've they've been a really welcoming environment for her. And she says the players have been great. Um, you know, understandably, she had a bit of hesitation, I guess, in coaching people like yeah. Tess Madgen. Kayla George, people that are much older than her, very experienced players. Um, but she said they've been super welcoming and they just take her feedback on board. And I think the team's really tapped into the advantages, I guess, of having someone who is a recent player in the league. She knows a lot about player tendencies. She's um, played against a lot of the guards in the league. So she's really been helping the team out with advanced scouting and and also helping the team's playmakers, which you know obviously was a real strength of hers when she was a player. It's amazing to watch interviews with Tiana and I imagine, it, as you say, it came across in your chat with her as well, how positive she is and the outlook on life that she has given the adversity that she's faced is um, quite remarkable uh, and also speaks to the quality of the organisation of the Sydney Kings and Sydney Flames under Paul Smith uh, because whilst they tend to wear a bit of a black hat in the NBL and, and don't mind being a little bit of a villain, um, you know, it's it's wonderful to see that she's been embraced um, by her community, by her team, by her coaching staff, and given the space to be able to take care of her body and her health, um, whilst also giving back and being involved in the game that she loves. That's a wonderful mix. And I imagine that, you know, mentally, you, you say she's spoken about mental health, there's nothing better than being involved in what you love to be able to overcome some of those mental challenges because it allows you an escape. Yeah, 100%. I think, yeah, she says it's it's really given her a purpose and yeah. it's probably a time when she was she was floundering a bit. But if you look at something like the the Pink Round, which is coming up on, on January 14, um, so the Flames did that last year and raised $20,000. Um, this year it's a double header, so the Flames are going to play the Perth Lynx. We'll also see the Sydney Kings playing the New Zealand Breakers and all proceeds from that double header are going to go to the the Graph Foundation, which, as you say, is doing incredible work. So they're hoping to actually double that sum of $20,000 from last year, and that'll just go so far towards providing breast care nurses. Um, so Tiana spoke a bit about her own experience with the breast care nurse. Um, she didn't actually have one when she, was, when she was living in Queensland. She got one when she came down to Sydney, and she's just found that it's it's made a world of difference just having that one dedicated professional that's, there through you, there for you through the whole cancer journey. You can you know, make appointments, um, book massages for you to kind of relieve a bit of the physical discomfort you have. And it's just the kind of expert and, and guide throughout the whole you know, grueling process. She's found that really, really helpful. It's incredible because, of course, when you go through something like that, I imagine you don't know what to do. You don't know what your body needs. You don't know what your mind needs. You don't know what the order of events are. So having someone be there not only to be a sounding board, not only to to be able to talk to you through the circumstances and experiences that you go through, but being able to make sure that you have those milestones and checkpoints scheduled in and ready is, you know, wonderful um, and invaluable and something that clearly uh, comes across in her interview um, with the uh, with the Flames on their YouTube channel that the importance of having this sort of 
um, facility available to patients is uh, can't be understated. So we hope that everyone gets out to uh, Kudos Bank Arena Saturday, January 14, the Flames and Perth Lynx, and then the Sydney Kings and the New Zealand Breakers in what is a, a grand final rematch in the NBL, which should be huge as well. So I imagine they're going to get a huge crowd there in Sydney. They're going to raise a ton of money. I hope they blow that 40000 out of the water uh, and we can fund uh, a number of breast care nurses for patients like Tiana and Daniel. Uh, great piece, and we look forward to reading it on pickandroll.com.au. Uh, while we have you here, this is your first time on Unwrapped, so I want to take the opportunity to talk a little bit about yourself and introduce you to our listeners um, that potentially aren't subscribers of the site as yet. Do you want to just talk us through your background, your love of the game and and how you kind of got to the position that you are in terms of particularly writing about uh, the women's basketball, you know, associations and competitions around Australia. You've done a number of articles over the last uh, months and years regarding that competition. And it's something that's obviously really close to your heart. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess I've always loved writing and I've always loved basketball. So it's probably probably took me a while to kind of put those two things together. But yeah, my day job is an investigative journalist. I've yeah, been a journalist for a decade or more. Um, and yeah, I kind of grew up as a social basketball player, probably a bit of never really reached the heights of a a basketball like the people I, I talk to is a bit of a bit of a chucker, um, <laughs> as, as you say, but um, had a lot of fun playing basketball. I've always loved the game. Um, and, yeah, I guess I, there was one point where I was probably a bit frustrated that the WNBL wasn't getting the um, coverage that I liked, that I, that I kind of sought. And I'd always loved, you know, in the NBA, you can read pieces by Ben Golliver, Zach Lowe, people who really go – go in depth into the league and I remember reading a season preview one year that said basically said the Townsville Fire won the competition last year so I'll probably win it again and kind of left it at that and I really wanted more detail so I kind of got into interviewing players um I'd like what the pick and roll was doing so I reached out to um Keane and Damien and yeah was lucky enough to come on board and it's it's been pretty amazing I've been able to cover the Women's Asia Cup the Women's World Cup in Sydney you know, talk to people like Lauren Jackson and Michelle Timms. Um, it's been amazing to be part of. And it's great that you're part of, I guess, a cohort of writers on pickandroll.com.au that cover the women's game in great detail. Uh, Hayley Wilds will be speaking to on this episode as well. Um, it's great to see the representation and that's what we want to carry over to Unwrapped as well because that's what the pick and roll does really well. Um, there is equality in the coverage of the game and we want to make sure that there's greater quality in the coverage of the game on the audio product as well. Yeah, I think that's super important. I mean, the women's Australian women's basketball team, just incredible achievements over the years. Like one of my favourite interviews I've done was with um, Robin Ma when she got into the Basketball New South Wales Hall of Fame. And yeah, just being able to tell some of those stories and shine a light on those achievements is, is really rewarding. Well, Daniel, it's been a pleasure to have you on Unwrapped today. Thanks so much for joining me and we look forward to the next time that you're on the show. Absolute pleasure, Adam. Thanks a lot. Unwrapped is presented by FBL Fantasy Ballers League, an Australian-owned and operated baller lifestyle brand that aims to provide you with the freshest lifestyle apparel and courtwear. FBL's products emphasize a perfect mix of fashion, function, and comfort and make a bold statement in their distinctive white, black, and gold colors. From hoodies, jackets, T-shirts, and socks to their two signature shoes, the Edge in white and gold and the Threat in black and gold. Be bold with gold. 
Check out the FBL collection at fblsport.com today. We've got about a month left in the NBL season, and on Unwrapped, I'm thrilled to welcome for the very first time on the show my broadcast partner with Clutch Radio, Jacob Dool. Jacob, you and I, last time we did this, we were doing the podium pod through Pick and Roll. Now we're on Unwrapped. And now we're talking about the NBL, and you've recently written an article about the MVP candidates of the NBL. Two of those guys have kind of separated themselves from the third, um, and it looks to be kind of a two-horse race between Bryce Cotton and Chris Golding right now. Yeah, thanks for having me on, first of all, Adam. It's nice to have another place that we can talk hoops, as we seem to do quite often at the moment. Uh, I, I think you're right, and, and I don't think many people would disagree that, that the top two candidates in the NBL MVP race have kind of lifted themselves above the pack and, and, and are really the two standout players in the season. But I think there's still plenty of other interesting discussion to be had about about some of these players that have, have really led the way this season. We have to start the conversation by talking about Bryce Cotton. Just when I think that he can't possibly play any more minutes, he somehow manages to play more minutes. Last year was 351 and you looked at that and thought, wow, John Ridley's playing Bryce a lot. And he, you know, toward the end of the season, started to fatigue a little bit. This year, he's playing 38.1 minutes a game. He's having, what's that, 110 seconds rest or 100 115 seconds rest every game, aside from timeouts, aside from quarter breaks uh, and halftime break. Bryce is, you know playing at an elite level over such a workload. And I think that has to come into the MVP consideration because not only is he far and away the best player on his team, but he's playing far and away the most minutes in the league. And he is, of course, leading the league in scoring and he's dragging his team into the playoffs as we speak. And the craziest thing is, even with that minutes load, you'd expect fatigue to be coming into play now after you know a fairly busy chunk of the schedule. Yeah, but he's only getting better as the year goes on. You know, the only time he's the only time he's really looked tired this whole season is against Melbourne United when it went to overtime and he played all forty five minutes. <laughs> and maybe in the last two minutes of that game, he started to look a little bit under the weather. Other than that, he's he's just kept on going to another level after a, a pretty slow start to the season as Perth struggled. So, yeah, the way that he's responded and the way that they've climbed back up the ladder since then it's maybe the most impressive stretch of his NBL career and that's that's really saying something given the resume he has and if he can continue this momentum at this workload then I mean I don't think there's anyone that would begrudge him the MVP with the exception maybe of Chris Golding who is you know playing some of the best basketball of his career four and a half threes a game which says it all really he's just you know, taken that game to another level in terms of if you want to talk about workload, he's shooting 10 threes a game, making four and a half of them. That's an elite clip anywhere in the world. And he's leading from the front and leading the best team in the league despite their recent road struggles. And I don't think too many people would have expected Chris Golding to be in this MVP conversation just because of the context of him coming into this season. You know, he's 35. Yeah. He hadn't led his own team in scoring since 2016, let alone, you know, been one of the best scorers in the league. And with all that other talent on this Melbourne United team, you wondered whether he would ever really be, quote unquote, the guy again. But instead, he's he's come out and he really has led from the front, as you say. He's, he's in the top 10 in the league for scoring and setting a historic pace shooting threes. You know, no player in the 40-minute era has made more threes per game than Chris Golding. So... 
it, it's it's tough to call it a breakout season given he's a star of the league and he's 35 years old, but it does yeah. kind of feel like he's just found another gear late in his career, which which I certainly wasn't expecting. And then you go down to sort of the next tier of candidates. You had Jordan Crawford on your article pre-Christmas and pre-Christmas that was a very defensible guy to have as your number three. He's really struggled recently. He struggled on Christmas Day against the Phoenix. He then uh, struggled even further uh, against New Zealand and he wasn't really able to recapture too much of that against the Taipans in the latest round. Now we have a front row seat to the Jordan Crawford show each and every home game. So we are very, very lucky to watch this guy cook as they say on social media but for Jordan, he has slowed down in terms of his production. Tasmania have also slowed down in terms of their production, which points to his candidacy for MVP. When he plays well, Tasmania play well. When he doesn't play well, they've lost a couple of games in a row. Yeah, and he, he had sort of seemingly found that next level of consistency coming into that article going out and coming into the last couple of games. But with his struggles, it, it is a little bit harder to to have him in that upper echelon of of MVP candidates, as as well as the fact that he plays alongside Milton Doyle, who himself has been in those conversations at times this season. Now, they've both had their ups and downs, and as one has played well, the others maybe struggled and vice versa. So given they are a bit of a package deal, it might be hard to separate them in any MVP conversations, even if they were to both thrive down the stretch. But uh, I think for the time being, Crawford is maybe yeah, a little bit further down the pecking order than, than we thought even just a week or two ago. I want to talk about sort of up-and-coming candidates, candidates that could announce themselves across the last month of the season. New Zealand is is really striving for that top six and has put together a few really good weeks of basketball in a row with a couple of little exceptions. But they have two players in Parker Jackson, Cartwright and Anthony Lamb, both averaging over 19 points a game both kind of pacing them offensively and offering them different things. PJC is, is kind of similar to Jordan Crawford in stature, um, but, you know, he he really quarterbacks that team, which is a weird sentence to say, given Will McDowell-White is also on that team. And then for Anthony Lamb, he just takes over at different points in games and is able to score in bunches uh, and really put a lot of pressure on the opposition. But, if New Zealand continue to strive for that top four and reach that top four, both of those guys could announce a candidacy for the MVP in the latter part of the season. Definitely. And I think in in a vacuum as individuals, you can see them both as MVP caliber players. You know, they, they both take over games and control games in their own way. It's, it's really going to come down to the narrative late in the season, isn't it? If New Zealand can make a run into the playoff spots, maybe even into that top four, which the way they're playing isn't completely out of the question, then suddenly it goes to, oh, these two players kept New Zealand afloat when they were hit by so many injuries and then powered them into the playoffs, where previously I think the thought process was, oh, New Zealand are struggling. They're not where we thought they'd be, so you can't give these guys too much credit. So it it all comes down to where they finish on the ladder, really, as strange as it is for an, an individual award. But if they can show that they've weathered this storm and then taken the breakers back into the playoff picture despite that, I think their individual numbers speak for themselves. And, and in that context, they're, they're going to be contenders, certainly. We saw so much parity in the league last season, and we're seeing it again. Five of the teams in this league in a 10-team league are on either eight or nine wins right now. And it just points to how close the ladder is and how any team from first right through to ninth 
could have an MVP candidate or could have an all-NBL caliber player that comes up through the ranks toward the end of the season. And I want to talk about all-NBL as well. Um, your article was mostly focused on uh, the MVP. You can read that at the pickandroll.com.au. You can read that at pickandroll.com.au. Uh, and for the all-NBL teams, there was a bit of controversy around positionless basketball. Now, we've seen the NBA do this and get rid of positions. Now, we've seen the NBL do this and get rid of positions in their teams. It was widely sort of dismissed as a problem when it happened. And now you sort of look down the list of dominant players in this league and there aren't many forwards there. It's very realistic that the first team of all NBL players could have three or even four guards. Yeah, the the arguments against this change to a positionless team were kind of brushed aside, as you say, by the argument of, well, it's not going to matter. There's not going to be a team of five guards. There's there's centers and there's forwards who are playing well. And that was that was true at the time. And and as you say, they've kind of fallen away a little bit in recent weeks. And you could make an argument that the top six, seven, eight even players in the league at the moment are guards. So it it is feasible that we could see really guard heavy all NBL lineups. Now, whether you see that as a good thing or not is is up for debate, you know, rewarding the best players without any any hang-ups on position versus fielding an actual basketball team. But it's kind of looking more and more like that's where it might land. I mean, you've got obviously Bryce Cotton. We've talked about Parker Jackson Cartwright. Uh, Chris Golding is, is you know, not a guard in the position that he plays for Melbourne United, but it would be, you know, usually people would call him a guard, uh, a shooting guard, that is. Nathan Sobey, kind of the same. Um, you know, you've got, you go down the list and the only genuine forwards you have out there, Anthony Lamb, who's more of a wing and Mitch Creek in, you know, the top 10 in scoring in the league. And you extend that to the top 15, Zylan Cheatham probably hasn't played enough games to you, to you McCall, uh, you could probably call a forward. Um, and he has played quite well. So he's in candidacy. Uh, and then Jack McVeigh, uh, old Mr. Reliable for Tasmania. He is a genuine forward in the league, but really dominated by guards and high-scoring guards right at the top of the the very top of the uh, the points per game average for the NBL. Um, and it's going to be really interesting to see if bigger players get any of their due in uh, the All-NBL teams. And, and even extending that to the centres, it's kind of a, a similar story, isn't it? You know, it, it wouldn't feel right to have any basketball team, including an All-NBL team, without a centre there. But, yeah. you know, Alan Williams was was the golden shining light at the start of the season. He's had some in issues with with fouling and inconsistency. Joe Lawala-Chul's been, been really good in his role, but he hasn't been that focal point for Melbourne United that he was in the past. So maybe he doesn't stand out from the crowd as much as he might have. Uh, Keanu Pinder, similarly in Perth, has taken a bit of a step back in terms of usage and role. So it, it is a little bit hard to see where those forward and centre spots might be filled. I think there will be there will be some players pushing for that, like a like a Mitch Creek and and a Zion Cheatham if he can make a run as well. But they all have arguments against them. And I think that's something that isn't necessarily true for all of those guards that you mentioned. And then you have sort of teams like Illawarra who have really um, announced themselves over the last few weeks and are now firmly in the top six on record. And Tasmania, both of those teams have probably three or four guys that could have some level of candidacy towards the All-NBL teams, but 
they probably won't have anyone. They might have one player. They might have none, even though you could conceivably say that three or four of the players on each of those teams have been playing at about that level of all NBL basketball and speaks to, you know, how good those players are from a team perspective. You could almost say the same about Sydney when they've looked really good, uh, that they've had Adams and Valentine uh, and Galloway play extremely well, as well as Bolden. Um, Tui, obviously, as well, uh, has played well, not to an all-NBL level at the moment, but that just speaks to how deep those teams are, whereas the very tippy top teams, as we said, in Melbourne and Perth, their very best players are the ones that are going to not only have MVP candidacy, but they're also going to be in line for all-NBL berths. And if Melbourne can separate themselves on the ladder, they probably force themselves to have a second all-NBL player. Yeah, it would be hard to deny them that, wouldn't it, if, if that's the way that it played out. Um, I think you're right in that Illawarra is one to, to keep an eye on. They've, they've really made a strong push in recent weeks, as we've seen up the ladder and, and with their results. And they do have Sam Froling and Gary Clark, who I think you could you could describe both of them as playing at a, an all-NBL level in, in yeah. a lot of seasons. So if they were to make a finals push, then those two players would certainly have a case to fill some of those spots in, in a front court capacity. But You've mentioned it earlier. It's there's just so much parity across the whole league. It, it's impossible to know at the moment where teams will finish and, and by extension which players maybe deserve the recognition at the end of the year. So it's it's such an interesting season to to watch unfold at the moment. It's going to be a massive last six rounds of the NBL season. We'll cover it here on pickandroll.com.au and we'll certainly be talking about it on Unwrapped over the next few weeks. Jacob Dool, thanks so much for joining me for the very first time on Unwrapped. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on here a few more times down the road. Well, next on Unwrapped, we have our WNBL, WNBA, college women's, college basketball writer extraordinaire, Hayley Wilds. Hayley, thank you so much for joining me on Unwrapped. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. It's a pleasure. I was reading an article that you wrote just before Christmas about the halfway point of the WNBL season And there's obviously a little bit more water under the bridge now. We've got five rounds left in the regular season. Not much has changed about the very top of the ladder. Townsville are still on top. They now have 11 wins and three losses. They dropped a couple just after you uh, published that article. I bet you sort of thought to yourself, I wish they'd kind of done that before so I could be a little bit more bullish on, uh, on how they were going. But they've managed to recover really well and won their last three. And they look to be, you know, the team to beat once again. Yeah, 100%. And like you said, they did lose a couple in a row there. And I think that loss of Alice Kunek did sort of catch up with them. But I think they're back on track now. When you look at sort of what the backcourt they've caught with Sammy Whitcomb and Steph Reed, they're going to always be in games. And and especially this time of year, those players know what they need to do. And and I think they're going to be the team to beat. I do agree with that, yeah. In second place, uh, the Melbourne Boomers. I won't talk about them too long. I know Tom Hirsch would want me to, to continue talking about them. He's a big fan of uh, of all the Melbourne teams. But he, they had a really big win against the Flyers in the Michelle Timms Cup at the weekend. Uh, they actually had two wins against sort of prospective playoff teams. Uh, and they're rolling now that they have Jordan Canada back. 100%. And, yeah, it was a really impressive round 10 for Melbourne, sort of getting those important wins against Southside and Sydney and, I think the big thing for Melbourne is the return of Christy Wallace and getting her back for like she hasn't played this year. And, and once she's in that backcourt with Jordan Canada, I think it's going to be scary for a lot of teams to go up against those two. 
Has anything surprised you since you wrote that article? Has a team slipped a little bit further than you expected or ascended and kind of consolidated its position more than you expected? Or has it pretty much gone to script or as you would expect it to over the last month? Sort of since I did write that, Canberra is sort of really getting going. And I think Canberra, they'd have to be one of the most enjoyable teams to watch that's sitting at three and nine in the history yeah. of the league. They're just so much fun to watch. Even if they're sort of losing games, they're still playing the right way and, and you can tell they want to play for their coach and led by Jade Melbourne, who's sort of taken the let her her game to another level this season. I think it's just impressive to watch them. And now they're sort of getting those wins on the board. I, I hope they can get a few more as the season continues. 19 points, five rebounds, nearly eight assists for Jade Melbourne. I mean, if they were a little bit better than three and nine, then she'd have to be in that sort of MVP conversation. Uh, And, you know, there's there's every chance that they could jump up a couple of more spots if they continue their form. They've won three out of four. Yeah, 100%. And Melbourne to be leading the league in scoring and then second in assists is really impressive. And, and I think that's sort of exciting for, for the WNBA fans as well over there in Seattle, seeing what she's doing this season. And then, of course, for Opals fans too with the Olympics this year. Well, will she be making her Olympic debut? I certainly hope she does. And I think she'll be ready if she gets that call. And for the Perth Lynx, they've recently lost twice to Townsville, uh, but they are still third. So they're able to win the games that they should win and struggle against the top side. You're a big fan of the way that they play. Uh, do you think that they could be a contender? Do you think they could get over the hump and beat Townsville at all at the pointy end? Or is this just a really good quality team that's not quite on the level of the top team in the comp? I do think they're capable. They're the highest scoring team in the league. And I think that says a lot about the way they play. They're fast. They want to get out and run. And yeah, like I've said in many articles this season, the way they've built their team has been really good. And although they've lost McDonald with the knee injury, but she should be back in early February from reports. So that was sort of a, a sigh of relief when she was, wasn't was going to be out for the season. So I think once they get her back and, and Amy Atwell's firing sort of recently um, and she's just been so good from deep and she's such a, a scorer in this league. So I think they're capable. They may not sort of, be right there, right at the pointy end, but I think they're definitely capable of making some noise in the finals if they get there. A really significant round 11 coming up. Now, one of those games will be played when you hear this. We're taping on a Monday. Melbourne play Townsville uh, at the Melbourne Sports Centre on Wednesday. And then on the weekend, once again, Melbourne play Townsville. Do you think Melbourne can steal one or potentially even both of those games and turn the ladder on its head? Capable, like you've sort of said in, in round 10, they got those two important wins against rivals. And if they're able to even get one of those wins against Townsville, it'll give them a lot of confidence. And, and if Christy Wallace is back this week, she was close this past week, it looked like. So hopefully she's back. And if she's there, I think um the backcourt battle with her and Canada taking on Whitcomb and Reed will be a lot of fun. That's obviously the the biggest game of, or the biggest two games of the weekend. We've spoken about the pink game uh, with Daniel Herborn on a different part of this episode of Unwrap. So we're really looking forward to the double header in Sydney. Are there any other games that you're really looking forward to in round 11? Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to uh, the Southside versus Sydney game on, on Friday night. And I think that's a really important game for both of those. There's obviously Southside seven and six and Sydney a seven and seven. So that's a game that, can really shape that bottom part of the top four. So I think that's an important one. And and if the winner of that can sort of get a bit of breathing room or, or Sydney, if they get up, they can sort of jump ahead of Southside. So I think that's an exciting game. Now, you'll be there at the State Basketball Centre for Clutch Radio commentating that game. So you'll get a front row seat. Who are you most looking forward to seeing in action? 
I, I think it has to be Poch for, for Southside. What she's sort of grown this season into is it's just incredible. And her WNBA draft stock just continues to rise. And every time I've watched Southside this season live, she's just got better and better each time. So I'm really looking forward to watching her. And then for Sydney, I think Nicholson's just having a great season and, and sort of in MVP form if Sydney are able to sort of get into that top four. So I'm looking forward to watching her as well. I'm interested in getting you on a little bit later in the season and a little bit deeper after March Madness to talk about the WNBA draft. Now, I'm a big Indiana Fever fan, so I'm particularly excited <laughs> about Caitlin Clark going number one. But we'll talk about the Australians. We won't talk about my team, I promise. Um, but I will rub it in uh, if uh, Georgia Clark does, uh, if Caitlin Clark does uh, declare. I want to talk about Georgia Amore very quickly. She's. Uh, got a lot of press on the pick and roll socials. She's been a standout for Virginia Tech and she keeps going to a different level in college. Uh, and she's, you know, a bona fide top 10 draft prospect at this point. Yeah, 100%. And I sort of spoke to her, I think it was just before they, they made their run for the final four last season. And, and even since then, she's just grown so much as a player. And she's obviously one of the smallest players out there every time, but that doesn't stop her. And the way she really attacks the basket... It's just incredible to watch. And then obviously her three-point shooting when that's on, she's nearly impossible to stop. So I think she's uh, looking – I'm really looking for, looking forward to seeing her in, in March Madness again and hopefully that WNBA draft stock sort of continues to rise as well. We love to see Aussies taken in NBA and WNBA drafts and realise their dream in the States as well as coming back here and dominating four local sides as well. Hayley Wilds, I'm really interested in getting into a little bit more of your background as well. You've been with the pick and roll for quite some time now. I'll let you tell that story. But what got you into writing about this great sport that we love uh, and what's your background in this sport and other sports? Because I'm interested in getting into that as well. Yeah, well, I've been here actually since the start. So obviously, pick and roll celebrated ten years last year. Yeah, last year now, oh, did and, you? And, and it's um and it's uh it's been a great ride to be a part of. I was away for a couple of years in the middle there when I was working full time at Melbourne United. But once I left that job, I came back here to um to write about women's basketball, and I think it's been a great decision and a great ride to really see that rise of women's basketball over the last sort of four years, and it's been great fun to be a part of and sort of sharing those stories that often don't get shared. And I think that's an important part of it. Absolutely. And you've also experienced life as a professional athlete. You were a footballer yourself for the Western Bulldogs. How does that allow you to write about professional sports? Does it give you a different perspective having lived a bit of that life yourself? Uh, Yeah, I think it does in a way. And that was a great sort of, uh, I think it was three seasons with the Bulldogs and I really enjoyed my time with them. And it was great to be a part of the AFLW when it first started and Yep. And to see the growth of that and sort of the the madness around it at the start there was incredible and it was great fun and sort of seeing the growth of the WNBL from from the sidelines I think it's great as well and, and it continues to grow and um yeah it's just a lot of fun to cover the WNBL and all the women's leagues around the world to be honest. Absolutely. Well, you'll be here in a, a fixture on Unwrapped across uh, the entire calendar year. It is a twelve month sport, of course. When WNBL, WNBA is on. Uh, they they kind of oppose each other. You've got college as well. We've got drafts. Uh, we've got plenty of competitions. And I'm really interested in Aussies performing well overseas in other countries other than America as well because we don't often talk too much about uh, the great work that Aussies are doing in other leagues around the world. Hayley Wilds, thank you so much for joining me on Unwrapped and look forward to having you many times over. 
Awesome. Thanks for having me. So there you have it. Three fantastic members of the Pick and Roll's writing team. Remember to head to pickandroll.com.au and subscribe to read their work as well as the work of the entire Pick and Roll staff. This has been Unwrapped, presented by FBL Sport. My name's Adam Webster. Thank you so much for your reception to episode one. We're really looking forward to bringing you more interviews with players, coaches, legends, agents, so many actors in and around the world of Australian basketball, so many more stories to share, and so much more to come from the Pick and Rolls team, so many more Pick and Roll team members to introduce you to across the year on Unwrapped. Thank you so much once again for listening, and we'll see you again next time. Thank you.